You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but you don't need to be a man to join us. The Real Men Feel Show is produced weekly for your growth and enjoyment. Listen to us on podcast platforms including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and many more. You can also watch the show on YouTube by visiting realmenfeel.org slash YouTube. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or subscribe on iTunes by visiting realmenfeel.org slash iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at realmenfeel.org and at facebook.com slash realmenfeelshow. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Real Men Feel is brought to you by The Good Men Project. Visit goodmenproject.com for more of the conversations no one else is having. Your reviews, comments, feedback, and participation are welcome during the live show and anytime in our Facebook group, on Twitter, or at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get into this week's show. Hello and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. And, you know, one of my favorite things about this show is kind of is having the conversation about masculinity and what it means to be a man. And especially when it's a global conversation and really discovering that, you know, the, the challenges that you might be facing in your life, in your home, in your neighborhood, at your job, uh, the, the same things happening to people all around the world. And today I am blessed and proud to introduce a gentleman joining us from Australia. Happy to welcome communications consultant, profiler, author, and trainer, Mr. Alan Stevens. Thank you very much, Andy. It's great to be here. Awesome, awesome. And, you know, I talked about what it means to be a man. And for me, the past couple of weeks, what it means to be a man is having a new puppy. So if, <laughs> if anyone hears a, a, a high-pitched wail in the background, nobody's being tortured. It's just my new puppy, Scout, who's really lonely and does not like being in the house knowing that someone else is here and she can't get to them. So. No torture. Excellent. <laughs> so you do a, a really lot of fascinating things, Alan. Yeah, all based really about how to connect with people, build relationships. It's, um, that's the main focus. How do I have a better connection with somebody and how can I help them understand themselves better and also other people around them? Hmm. Is this always been an interest of yours, even from, from you know, uh, a, a student and even younger as a child, just communication and connecting? Well, probably because I was a bad communicator when I was younger and then in business, being in charge of people and who are older than me and not being able to connect with them to start with, it was something I knew I needed to learn, but didn't really have the, um, uh, would you say, the direction or the idea of how to do it. So most of the stuff I did up over the last or leading up to about uh, 15 years ago was most of it was based on um, gut feel. Oh, really? So, yeah. so were you aware of kind of that, that intuition, that gut feel for, for a long time? Or is it something you discovered over time? Or? It's something I had to tune because my uh, intuition before that wasn't really that good. Uh -huh. I'd been through two divorces, a lot of relationships. I'd had business partners who had uh, emptied out the bank and everything else. And as I say, they, I just didn't see them coming. <laughs> and uh, I just realized some time ago that, well, I had to improve and I was raising uh, three boys on my own back then as well. And uh, I thought, right, that was the instigation. That was about oh, 30 odd years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, from there, it's now got to the point that, well, it's expanded further to where I um, now help other people to uh, read other people as well. Cool. Yeah. So let's go get into that a little bit. Um, I probably have this, you know, bizarre Hollywood version of what it means to read people and being a profiler. So, so, you know, what, what does profiling work really entail? Well, well, all this stuff on TVs, you know, the CSI and everything else and trying to work out what personality that a person would be, like a serial killer, that sort of thing, what sort of person are we looking for? But really, we all profile. Every one of us look at people around us and within less than 100 milliseconds, we've decided whether we like them or trust them. And this is ingrained in all of us. It's part of our DNA to be able to look at somebody, first of all, and know if they are somebody that um, uh, is safe to be around is somebody that we know. And if it is somebody we you know, is it that uh, they're um, in a good mood or a bad mood? How do I handle that situation? If it's somebody I don't know, are they somebody who could be threatening? And we do that 
at the click of her fingers virtually, that hundred of a million, it's faster than the blink of the eye. Hmm. And we've already determined that, and that's all done unconsciously. And so my idea then was to how to bring that to the conscious mind and understand what it was we were seeing. Because I'll ask you, and I'll ask your audience as well, just think about this. How many times have you spoken to somebody, they've said everything that was perfectly right, but you had that feeling that something was wrong. Right. And people say, oh, yeah, I, I, you know, my gut picked it up. Well, it's actually your unconscious mind that picked it up. You saw the uh, unconscious or the nonverbal indicators, the expressions on the face, the body movements, the changing breathing, the change in the color of the skin. And we pick all of that up in that uh, quick uh, moment, in that unconscious moment where our unconscious mind deceives it. And so we take in about 2 million bits of information every second and we process about 134 bits. Now, some people will say it's more than that that we actually take in and you know, more that we process, but the ratio is still about the same. It's about one to uh, 1,500. So all that stuff coming in and we distort, we generalize and we de delete information. And then our conscious mind, where we're focused, focuses on the, that small amount. So we've already picked it up, but something's come through and the unconscious mind said, no, that person's not trustworthy. But then we look at somebody who reminds us of that person who ripped it off in the past, did the wrong thing by us, or they, were real, they remind us of somebody who was really fantastic. We get into a relationship with them and we find out that this particular person is not fantastic, they're actually the opposite, or the person that we've walked away from because they reminded us of somebody who was nasty from our past, we've judged them and missed the opportunity of a great relationship. So of course, the biases. So I teach people how to go beyond the bias. So everybody has this natural ability that's really good at, at reading people, but it's an unconscious level. But then we can kind of take those lessons and use them in the wrong way and kind of just shun people out because of an accurate reading in the past. And that's it. We distort and we generalize the wrong information. <laughs> so we come up with a different solution. Right. And most people will say, yeah, but I was right. Yeah, that person was somebody who was quite nasty and that they've they were just like the other person. Now we're profiling people on their appearance and judging a book by its cover mm. and saying, right, if you have a particular face shape, then you're a crook. Well, we know that's rubbish. Right. So we look at that person and we go, well, they've, um, you know, I was right. They behaved exactly the same way. Well, guess what? When you read them, you behaved in a particular way and they unconsciously picked up your reactions and everything goes and they've judged you just as incorrectly as you've judged them. And you've created a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right, right. Yeah. So however accurate we think we are at reading and profile and knowing people, we're, we're kind of projecting our, our, our expectations onto that person and making it easier for them to behave the way we fear they would or expect That's them it. to. Yeah. yeah. So we create that situation. Yeah. And when it comes to picking lies, I always ask people, I'm doing seminars or anything like that or workshops, who's here are good, uh, good at, <clears throat> excuse me, who here is good at picking up lies? And I was training some police yesterday and I'm glad that not one hand went up. And I went, great. I said, because anybody who tells me they're great at picking up liars, then I can sell them the Harbour Bridge here in Sydney. Because you know, it's the ego that thinks you're able to read it. Judges, uh, police, forensic uh, psychologists, people who run lie detector tests, all of those are no better, better than anybody else at picking up lies. And on average, we're, it's about 38% accuracy. So most of us, you know, three to four times out of, a, out of 10, we might get it right. But most of the time, we're going to get it wrong. So that's, fascinating. So, that's so, one of the things that I realized we need, I needed to look at differently. And so you mentioned working with police. Do, are, are, are police and, and officials and judges, are they, are they open to learning these techniques? Those that are um, beyond their egos, or those that have actually stopped and realized that the people that they're dealing with, you know, they're 24 seven, they're in a, a violent situation or whatever, these people. And so they're always looking and they're, they're good at reading people. So then the police go, okay, if we're going to be able to work with these people effectively, we really need to be able to read them as well as they can read us. And that's why the police, uh, different police departments now are talking to me about what I do. Huh. We're starting to re uh, do this work. So, so how, how is, is, do you train people in groups? Do you work with people one-on-one? -on -one? How, how do you uh, help other people to, to perfect their profiling? As I say, all of the above plus even online courses where self, people can self-pace as well. Huh. It all depends on what you want to use it for. If you're a, a school teacher, for instance, I like training teachers in groups. 
and I do a combination of online training where they get self-paced different modules each week and then we come together and in that situation we go okay let's talk about some of these situations that are happening to you right now with the students in the classroom and we deal with those issues so they're actually not only learning how to read the child and each other but they're now uh, been able to put it into practice while they're still training hmm. and then if I have um, somebody who wants to become a trainer in this oh, I'll train one-on-one -on -one. I'm about to start training a gentleman in South Africa at the moment who wants to work in the schools over there so it depends on the person's background and what they want to use it for. If it's a salesperson, they might be one-on-one -on -one or it might be their sales team that I train. And I'll train them in different ways and I can either train them with everything that I know or different parts of it, whatever they require for their, the outcomes that they're after. Cool. So is it usually uh, a professional interest that, that guides people into wanting to learn the skill? Uh, or you can get uh, parents coming to me. I, when I first started with a, a networking group in Sydney, it was you know, the referral marketing group, how to build your business and everything else. And we had a full day uh, one month together. And then next month we came together for another full day. And partway through, I realized all these people who were in the room and we're helping each other build business. We're asking, you, tell us about your business. How can I help you build it? And I went, you guys still haven't got your head around what I do. And of course, everyone's going, yeah, no, we haven't. What is it? And I said, well, look, Give me the photographs of your children and I'll profile your children and tell you about their gifts because everybody on this planet has a gift. I don't care who they are. And we're all, there's no two people on the planet with the same personality. That's why I don't use psychometric profiling. What I use is what I can see in the face. And so I profiled their children from their photographs. And one of the gentlemen there, his five-year-old son had a music trait. He wasn't connecting with his son. I said, well, why don't you use music as a connection? He did come back to me a few months later and he said, you know, talking to you costs me money. I said, why? He said, I found out my son really loves music. Once we introduced music into the discussions and everything else, he got so excited. He said, but now I'm up for dance lessons and piano lessons. <laughs> and with a smile on his face, he's telling me this. And his daughter, who was seven years old, she had a trait that I could see was going to be a problem at school. But it was a great gift to have. She would come up with ideas that other people couldn't come up with that wouldn't understand, but she was also a big picture. So she wouldn't have enough detail to explain it to somebody who was more analytical as to how this idea would work. And I could see at school when the teachers pressure for time and everything else, it'd be a case of, I oh, just sit down and stop talking, sit down. And I could see that affecting her uh, confidence. So I told her father and her mother how to, uh, to work with her. And on her eighth birthday, uh, she became a published author on Amazon. She's also, uh, started her own coaching business because her dad's a coach and she said well dad you know, why do you coach he says i love working with people he says well so do i i want to be a coach <laughs> and he's a proud dad and he's thinking well great when she grows up she wants to be a coach no today and he said who are your clients going to be all the other kids at school none of them are happy huh. so she started writing affirmations in her um, uh, words instead of an adult's words that we have wrote them in her language he would duplicate them, laminate them, and take, then she'd take them to school for the other kids. And uh, she started her own blog and everything else. And they, he said, again, he said, it's still costing me money, you know. And I said, oh, what, the laminate? He said, no, no, that's fine. He said, but uh, we've got a deal. Every new um, uh, affirmation she comes up with, I have to pay her a dollar. I said, what are you up to? He said, oh, two, $25. I said, well, come back and complain when you're 250 <laughs> <laughs> so, And she's also, um, with a pioneering trait, She's also been the, the youngest person who ever climbed the Sydney Harbour Bridge now. Wow. You know, the walk they do over the top of the Harbour Bridge here in Sydney. Yeah. Hundreds and hundreds of feet up in the air. And, uh, you know, this is what you can do. If you can see the child. So I now train parents on how to actually see the gifts in their children, connect with them. I teach the teachers how to read the children so they don't fall through the cracks. They actually understand their learning styles. And so the teachers might say, oh, but I've got to do a bit of, it's going to take me a little while to learn this. But yeah, it's going to be a little while just to learn it, but it's going to save you so much time in trying to fix problems in the classroom when you don't have the skills. Hmm. So, and then um, showing parents who have got children with Asperger's or autism, how to actually improve their um, relationships with them as well, how to understand them and set their environment up to that particular child's level of autism or Asperger's. And so that child doesn't need as much medication. In some cases, they've actually you know, taken the medication right away. They haven't needed it. 
In other cases, it's just been a reduction. In some cases, it's not, but at least the parent is now connecting with the child and the behaviour changes. And when the school teachers have that same understanding, now you've got children who are um, uh, completely different behaviour and if they're not on medication, they're going to grow and learn faster. Hmm. So, and then you go into the corporate world, sales people, workplace uh, relationships, 87% of people in the Western world now are disengaged in their work. So nobody wants to be there. So leadership skills, if you might be the skills of a, or the qualities of a great leader, but unless you know how to talk to the people around you in the way that they each need to be spoken to, you're never going to reach your peak as a great leader. And so that comes into that area as well. And I'll train psychologists and, and uh, coaches and counsellors on how to deal with their clients more effectively as well. Read them and then apply their skills on top of that and get better results faster. That's fascinating. And so you're, you're really reading people's face and, and the structure of their face. So, hmm. you know, I know we change as we go from growing up from being a child to an adult. So does, does the profile of, of an eight-year-old girl change to, as, as she ages and grows up? Those or? particular traits that she's got well, that stood out when she was younger will only get stronger. And as she gets older, there'll be other traits that we can't see in the early age will start to develop as she comes through. Okay. So in a newborn child, there are traits that are passed down from the parents. There are traits that are passed down or the traits that we create in response to our environment what we call nature and nurture. So the nature traits that are in the DNA, and if anybody says, well, you know, that's rubbish, well, think about the illnesses that are passed down. You know, things like haemophilia and that is passed down from the mother. mother. Baldness in men is passed down from the mother. There's a few things like that. You know, you find that a woman who has breast cancer and that there'll be a line of people through her ancestry that have had breast cancer as well. So this stuff gets passed down in the DNA. So do all the memories and behaviours of our, well, because everything we learn, know is not only in our brain, it's stored in every cell of our body. So up to the point of uh, conceiving a child, every, many, every memory we've had up to that point is going to be in the uh, child that we create. The next child will be different. Why? Because different relationship with the parents and diff over different times and everything, but at the same time, different memories of the parents as well. We know that you know, first uh, born will behave in a certain way, second born most of them behave in the, another way. The third born is even uh, greater again. And if there's a big gap between uh, children, then the youngest one will be acting like a firstborn again. Mm. So we know all of that stuff and there's, there's no magic about that. Uh, and then we look at, well, what about the, um, uh, the, you know, the nurture traits? Well, think about somebody who lifts weights. As you uh, lift weights, you're going to build muscles. You're going to build different shape in your body. Someone who uh, rows a lot will build it more in the chest. Someone who's a runner or a, a bike rider, push bike rider, they'll build their legs up more. You can look at somebody and go, oh, they look like they ride a bike. That person looks like they do only upper body work. I used to row a, um, a surf ski, which is like a, a kayak in the ocean. And all mine was upper body. So my size was in my chest and I've got skinny legs because I never had to use them. So any muscle that we build up, is going to change shape. If we exercise, it's going to change. Everything that we feel inside, we show on the outside as well. All our emotions, if you're sad, it's going to be seen on your face. If you're angry, you're going to have that angry expression on your face as well. But if you feel that particular way over and over again, you're going to build ridges and crevices on your face. And so as over time, that's going to change. And that's what I'm reading in someone's face. So it's, you know, as I say, it's not rocket science. It's nothing mystical. It's not clairvoyance. Yeah. It's pure uh, uh, science. And as the science says behind me, I just I called, I put these different skills together, called it rapid trait profiling. So it was unique on the planet. And um, at the same time, it's uh, turned the uh, science of reading people into an art form. It's <laughs> <laughs> really fascinating. I, I, I want to check out some of these classes. It's, uh, it, it's, it's so uh, intriguing. Um, well, you've got that connection with parents. And then I've got salespeople who have... Um, I had one guy just recently, he had um, uh, two men who wanted him to build a commercial building for them. It's going to be the first of a number of buildings, a number of outlets. And the one who was pushing, he said, well, it's going to cost you just under $2 million. And the other, uh, uh, the, the two men, particularly one said, oh, no, we can't go above 1.6. And so he was at a stalemate with him. And I said, well, give me the photographs. And I looked at the one who was pushing for the discount. I said, stop talking to him about money. He's about service. He's about receiving service and therefore also giving service. Talk to him about this first building. He had had, if he wants to get 
open up other outlets and be successful. This one has to be a real showcase. It has to be, as I say, really schmick. It has to have everything in there in place. And so talk to him about the service. And I said, talk to the other one. He's about the, uh, the money. The money's important to him. But he's also got the traits that tell me that he doesn't like to do long-term projects. He likes to start, finish, and move on to the next one. So he's after variety. So talk to him about once they get this building in place. So we talk to this man and say, look, you know, we get this right. It's going to give all the service, going to attract people and everything. Turn around to the other one and say to him, we do this. You'll be able to then get more clients in fast. You'll be able to make more money. You'll be able to then move on and build the next buildings faster. Well, while he talked to the one about the service, he had $150,000 to the deal and they both signed off on it. <laughs> so he's made more than what he originally went in for just because he knew how to read them and speak to him in the way that they want to be spoken to. That's really cool. So, sure. so I, 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 I totally get that the emotions are seen on the face and how you feel is, is expressed. But mm. what about men that have been taught not to express and, and guys that like hide and bury their emotions? Would, is it, can you still read them? Is everything still apparent if you know what to look for? Yeah, well, you'll find that our, we leak information all the time. So somebody who is keeping their emotions down and everything goes, you know, they're going to frown a lot. They're going to have that look on their face of, you know, determination or whatever. And that's going to create ridges and crevices. You know, and if they're unhappy all the time, this part of the mouth is going to turn down. So straight away, I know in their uh, personality wise, they're more going to be pessimistic than optimistic. But things like the position of the eyes, the shape of the face, etc., the eyebrows where they're located, the shape of those, that, Person, that person can try and conceal that, but that's still going to be there. You know, people who have got more horizontal eyebrows like mine where they're flat like this, these are people who keep everything inside. Hmm. Now, we seem to be laid back all the time. But if we don't deal with pressures as they build up, there's a sudden outburst. It goes out and it disappears really quickly because we're over it. And other people around us who have got more of the striking eyebrows that go up like the dramatic eyebrows, these are people who need to express outwardly. So every time they're stressed, you know about it. <laughs> so we know that you, know, you can keep stuff down, but it's going to come out in relation to your personality. So men can hold stuff back, but you watch their body language. You look at the expressions on their face. First, their facial features will tell you their personality. You then, while you're talking to them, you watch how they respond back to you. And you now know whether they're actually trying to conceal something or not. You know, men who commit suicide because the depression builds up and everything goes and all their people around them say, oh, I never saw it. We didn't even know it was coming. Well, with these skills, you can long before it gets there. Mm. Mm, that's really powerful. So, and I, I know you're involved with, with men's work and, and helping boys to, to grow up and, and, and be the best sort of men that they can be. So does this profiling skill, has it come into play in, in everything that you're doing? Absolutely. Because when I've, um, well, first of all, with the men's side of things, we've got men today don't know what their role is in the family and even at work. We've got so much of this political correctness at the moment, which is causing so much confusion and actually exacerbating the problems of domestic violence and bullying in the workplace and depression and suicides and everything else. And so with that, men need to be able to express themselves. And in the past, what we used to do was you know, sit around a campfire. Mm. You know, if you're any of the men listening today, you know, you go camping with your mates and you're sitting around, there's joking and there's talking and everything goes. And men start to become a little bit more open. And in tribal times, that's the way that we developed as boys. We were with mum up to a certain age where we learnt to, you know, what it's like to be loved and everything goes. But then mum needs to be able to step back and let the boy now take on certain responsibilities, even though he may not want to. So that when he gets to a certain age and he finds a partner because he wants one, not because he needs one. Mm. You know? And this is the biggest problem for mums is letting go of their boys. You know, it's about 13 years old. And by the time if they can stand back and let the boys sort of cope, go through, it's like they've got to go across a bridge and they've got to go across that bridge on their own. They can't even go with their dad. So between that 14 seven to 17 year age group, they're going to learn all the skills that they need to be a self-sufficient male. So my first wife left me with uh, three boys to raise. They were four, 11 and 12. So for my older two, this was a perfect time for it. And as I said to them, guys, the great Australian dream's over. And they said, what's that? I said, boys growing up with mum, being pampered all the way through and looked after. 
then they go and find a girlfriend at the age of 18 or something like that. And next thing you know, they've got another woman looking after them. Hmm. Uh, I pulled up the legs of my trousers and I said, look at these legs. They don't look good in a skirt. I'm no good at, uh, I'm not going to do all your cooking. I'm not going to do your, all your ironing. You're going to learn to iron and wash your own clothes and we're going to share the cooking. So we'll all cook for each other, etc." And that's the way my boys grew up. The oldest one now is 40 and uh, the youngest one's 30 or 32. And the end result is they're all self-sufficient males. Mm. They've all got this loving relationship with their partners and it's a stronger bond that they got with their partners because they want their partners, not that they need their partners. Right. It's not about seeking someone else to take care of you when you're resilient. It's someone that can add things to you. That's it. So now they work, walk shoulder to shoulder with their partners. Whereas if they're not, they're going to be behind their partners. All of a sudden they've been looked after all the way through like boys. And all of a sudden now their partner needs um, some support. Hey, Mum doesn't go and get the son to come and support them. It doesn't work that way. So unless mums realise they need to step out of the way and let the men then come in, and it's not a man's job. My job wasn't to make a man of my sons. My job was to get other good men around, take them from that full-on love they got from mum to the tough love they're going to get from other men. And that way they could look at all the other men and take a little bit of each one and create their own character and identity. And it's not my character, it's their character. Whereas if I do the raising, they're just going to be my clones. <laughs> and we've seen that in a few people, even uh, uh, some very famous people um, in the presidents as well, mm. <laughs> where father and son have been, you can't really tell them apart except for one's a little bit older than the other one. Their behaviours and everything goes are identical. So I needed for my sons, because my father died when I was three. Oh, wow. And I grew up on the memories of everybody that everyone had around him. And on my 50th birthday, I just realized that he died when he was 49 years old. So what memories could I now follow? And the biggest thing for me was, oh my God, I don't have a role model anymore. I've got to become my own role model. And I was lucky at the time with um, some things were happening in my life. I connected with some Aboriginals, went out on a spiritual journey with them and uh, went, uh, started work understanding their culture and found that... Um, I think I was probably about 50 when I became a man. That was about 16 years ago. Wow. It took that long simply because I didn't have that rite of passage. I didn't have men around me. Right. I only had and women who were trying to raise me and I was only ever going to be a boy until that, a man came into my world. Hmm. So yeah, that's the thing that so many tribal societies and older societies had that this rite of passage to, to, hmm. for boys to progress through and, and hmm. modern society that's it, 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 missing. That's it. See, women have it. You know, they sit and they'll talk to each other. But we were also told when we were growing up, you know, others listening to this will probably feel the same way. You know, be quiet. You know, listen. Don't, you know, listen. We want to see you, but we don't want to hear you. You know, boys don't cry. All this sort of stuff. Well, I started counselling work and I worked with people. And I saw, you know, many in particular were struggling on letting their tears out. <laughs> oh, for God's sake, step aside. I'll show you how to do it. You know, because... How can you be a full man unless you can express everything? Right. We're going to have all these emotions inside and people might say to you, get rid of your anger. Don't get rid of your anger. Just use it appropriately. Someone threatens your family. It's appropriate to get angry. Mm -hmm. You don't turn the other cheek, but don't use that anger to take it out on people who don't deserve it. Focus at where it belongs, where it needs to go. And everybody who's told you to get rid of something, Tell them to go and mind their own business because they're telling you to do something which is impossible, which is setting you up for failure. Hmm. And that's what I realized with a lot of coaches I'd had in the past who really didn't understand it. There was this rubbish about fake it till you make it. Well, the true statement is act as if. But some motivational uh, uh, expert decided they'd try and make it a little bit uh, trendier because when you act as if, you're already acting as though you're there, which means you're there. Right. But if you fake it till you make it, you're telling your unconscious mind you're a fake and you'll never make it. Right. You just keep faking it. it the the make it. it doesn't show up. <laughs> That's it. And so you might be impressing other people. They may think you've made it. They may even see you that you've made it, but you still have that understanding inside you that you're faking it. So there's going to be some feelings deep down that are dragging you down because you know you've never made it. You know, I've got a personality where I build my confidence by doing things over and over. Hmm. I worked with uh, our telecommunications uh, Telstra over here or when they were 
postmaster generals when it was post office and telecom together. Then it became telecom and uh, then Telstra. And in that time, I'd worked 23 years with them, left them as a principal technical officer. And then that was in 91. And then in 91, I've been through that many industries. I've been a short order cook. I've worked on uh, selling dipsticks to fuel companies, the ones that go in the grounds in the uh, fuel stations. I've done gutter protection on roofs. I've had a high speed printing and mailing house. I've been a massage therapist. When I started massage therapy, I did, okay, I need to know about aromatherapy. And then oh, what about color therapy? What about sound therapy? And I've put all these different things together. And a few friends said to me, Alan, you've just done about, just about done every therapy there is. You probably need to now be in therapy. And I was thinking <laughs> they might've been right at one stage. But they'd say to me, Alan, when are you gonna go out and start teaching what you're doing? But even when I started, I felt like I was a fake because I thought I need more information. Hmm. All my friends were saying, no, Alan, you got this down pat. You're, you're the world authority in what you do now. And I've had uh, UK Guardian, people around the world flown to, uh, to, to England on, in 2016 with Disney and Gillette for their Star Wars launch to be interviewed by the world's press about how the face tells stories before you utter a single word. Then wow. working with the federal police last year here in Australia and again uh, this year, working with parents, getting these great results. Parents who are coming back to me eight years later after I've worked with them, telling me they're still getting results with their children. You know, from a six-year-old boy to now a 14-year-old boy, uh, back into the normal uh, area of school, no longer on the, the medication he was on before, not seeing psychologists in a completely different life. And I'm going, well, what else do I need to know? <laughs> so I had listened to that comment, fake it till you make it, you know, 20 years ago I was hearing that. And that's what I'd been doing for that 20 years. And it's only recently, even you know, the last few years, that it finally dawned on me, that saying I still had embedded in my unconscious and I needed to get rid of it. Now, act as if. Now I walk in with a group and they can all be you know, big professionals and everything goes. And next thing you know, they're talking to me as though I'm the leading authority in the room. Yeah. And I, I now appreciate it. Right. Whereas before, it used to terrify me. Hmm. That's uh, amazing. And it's you, know, so you can learn all this stuff, but unless you apply it and you revalue some of the stuff you've heard before... You know, right. it's still hard, hard going. It's a hard slog. Yeah, that's a big thing. Like I come across this often in, in my own experience and, and the people that I work with that when you, oh, I know that, I know that. Well, you know about it. It's when you do it, that's what proves that you know it. So yeah, you, you're finally acting, not even acting as if. You're just hey. acting all that you know and, and it comes it. across even, even hey. stronger. I've got a friend of mine who um, every time you'd say something to him, he go, yeah, I know. And then you go, yeah, I know you know. And you try to explain more to him. And you go, I know, I know. That was always his answer to everything. He never did anything. And it was like, <laughs> get your hands around his throat and throttle him at times. Right. Yeah, um, and that's the thing. We get caught up in that side of it. So, and having good men around you that can talk to, and they, they don't have to be on a, don't put them on a pedestal. I mean, people put me on a pedestal. I go, I'm like that little naughty boy you put in the cot. Next thing you know, he climbs out. <laughs> yeah, you know, I want to be down where all the fun is, and that's with everybody else. That's around the campfire, yeah, you know, laughing and joking and talking about things. And some of the men that I've interviewed from around the world, oh, their stories have been so humbling, and they're really great guys. Mm. And it's been a real pleasure to share their stories with other men around the world. Cool. Yeah. So let's get into. So um, you do you have an interview series? You do talk to guys all around the world, and mm. and you, what what do you call that? It's a campfire project. And I thought that was the best way to go because people understood it. And in that particular, um, when I do those interviews, I'm in a bushland setting with the fire behind me. So it's very symbolic of that. But it allows those, see, some time ago, I, I had somebody who came into the Campfire Project. It's on, it's on Facebook. It's open to anybody to go in, but it's a closed group. And the reason it's closed is that people who are in there, it's important that they show respect to the people who are talking, who are speaking in there. And so I actually had one uh, woman who runs a group, and I think a men's group as well, where uh, she'd asked if I'd put a blog up on my site and it, I had a quick look and read what it said. Not a bad article, but very bottom, it had two sentences. The first one was, it takes a village to raise children. I agree with that 100%. You know? If you're a parent, even if you're fighting with your spouse, you've divorced and everything else, you need to co-parent your children. You have that responsibility. Get over your stuff between you and your spouse and raise your children to the best uh, way you can. You know, if, it has, if you're a man, 
teach them to respect their mother, teach them to respect women, or otherwise they're going to be attracting the wrong women for the rest of their life as well. So if you love your kids, change the way you're doing things. But then the next part of it was, um, uh, it takes a community to give men permission to uh, speak their truth. And I just saw red with that. Now, it takes a community to create a safe place. That's our responsibility. We create a safe place for other men then to give themselves permission to uh, express themselves and to tell their stories. And so and that's why I say it's these men that have come in, you know, we've created some really great friendships amongst us. And it's, as I said, it's humbling to hear their stories that they've had the courage to come in and do that. And it's been my responsibility to make sure that was a safe place for them. Because I'd be letting them down. I'd be letting myself down and everybody else uh, down as well if I didn't do that. So, uh, I, I want to go back to the Aboriginal experience for, for a moment before I, before I forget it. I, what amazes me is you said you, you, you did that at age 50 and you finally felt like you were a man then. Mm. But it amazes me that w whatever rite of passage they did with you, mm. it could have that great impact with, without all of your prior experience having been in that society and in that experience. Mm. Um, so can, can you share a, a bit about more Not about Not so that? much the process I went through, but the, the three pillars. And quite often there's three pillars in every, a lot of things that we do in life. It's because um, of mind, body, spirit, for instance, but there's always a fourth and that's you in the middle of it. You know, like um, the, uh, uh, the secret that was you in the middle of it. Nothing happens. You can put it out in the universe, but nothing happens until you make yourself ready. So it was the same thing with this. We have love, humility and respect. Love for mother, which is the land and everything else. But I looked at that and that became any woman because any woman can be a mother. And then at the same time, uh, humility. Now, it's not about being weak and meek, but you can be strong and everything else. But being humble that, you know, as I say, we're not trying to create um, the man. We're trying to create a man. Now, if we're all try striving to be a man, then we can associate with all the other men and there's no ego or anything else. And we're going to be happy. But if you're trying to be the man, you're always looking over your shoulder because someone else is trying to knock you off the perch. Yeah. That, and most of the people who are trying to do that have got high egos. The reason they've got high egos is because they're low self-esteem. So you don't want to be the man. You want to be a, an A man, not only a strong one, but a good one as well. And that's what the project was about. And that's what I learned from the Aboriginal side. And so it was that humility, but it was also then the respect of everyone around you, regardless of who they are. You can go through different levels in the Aboriginal society, but the respect of the children and the men that are coming down and through behind you was always the same as well. The process you go through is never talked about simply because if you talked about it, then you would rob all the other men who haven't been through yet. It's something that was like going to school. We go through different levels. We don't learn calculus in primary school. You know, when we've got enough knowledge and we've, we've got the ability to be able to handle calculus, that's when we do calculus. In the first stage, it's just additions and subtractions. So it's a process. It's, you know, and it's not secret men's business, which I keep, these women keep throwing up all the time. And I go, it's not secret men's business. It's just men's business. Women have secret women's business if that's the case. There is stuff that women do and everything else. I respect that it's there. I don't want to know about it because it's not my place to know. I'm not a woman and I'm not a girl who's coming through into womanhood. That's something they learn at that stage. You know, there's an appropriateness for everything. So there is men's business and that is what we're doing around the campfire. Women can come into the group now already as long as they respect that, at the moment, it's interviews like this one-on-one. -on -one. Then of the men I've been interviewing, the next thing is, and a few of them have started sending through suggestions, I'm going to have them as panels. So we might have four on the screen, filling the screen nicely on Zoom. We can have nine, three at the top, middle and bottom, and discuss different issues in life. And so these are men from all different backgrounds, different religions, different sexual preferences, all sorts of things, different cultures. And we're going to be sharing ideas and it'll be under the, the uh, proviso that you don't agree with somebody. You don't tell them you don't agree with them or they're wrong. You go, well, tell me more about that. Shall we tell me how that works and let the person through discussion, either change their mind or you learn something else more yourself. Right. So so expanding be, your knowledge. Being and that's willing, what happened about the campfire. Being willing to, to dig into what you don't know. Instead of just saying, no, 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 you're wrong. It's just like, that's oh. it. That, that, get back to that humility and, and respect. All, all of the pillars are there.
Well, it was uh, James Whitten from UCLA who uh, one of his sayings was that the most important thing you'll ever learn is the next thing you learn after you uh, think you know everything. <laughs> That's great. That's why I've been a student of life because every time I learn something, I hear something else, I go, oh, that'd sound, that would be great adding that to it. Yep. And off yep. I go and check it out. Yeah, there's a, a, a saying that I've, I've, I used to hate, but now I've grown to really enjoy is that, you know, you can be right or you can be happy. Yeah. And, and being right used to be really important to me. And, but yeah. then I decided, wait, I think I'd rather be happy. And that's and it. it just makes everything easier. And yeah, I, I now love discovering that I'm wrong about something I was sure, I thought I was certain of. And then, mm -hmm. oh, wow. And yeah, to, to learn and expand that's uh, our it. consciousness, our mind, uh, what, we, what we say we know <laughs> and our experiences is, is always good. Well, when you go down that path, if you're able to let go the wanting to be right all the time, you're almost you know, immediately going to be happy. That's the beautiful part of it. So all those people who go, but I'm not happy, but you know, you're always striving to be right. You know, I want to learn. It's like teaching uh, these uh, people yesterday, these uh, policemen. I said, well, look, anybody's got any questions, ask them. Don't wait and walk away from here without asking. I said, because other people, if you get a giggle from them, it's because they're relieved that somebody else asked the question that they were too embarrassed to ask themselves. And I said, at the end of the day, as we're going to go through, and we did a few uh, trials in profiling and things like that, and I said, guys, you don't have to be right. What we're doing here is we're fine-tuning, starting to learn at the end of it, you need to know how to get it right and how to apply it in the right way. So you know, don't worry about uh, scorecards and marks and that on this thing because I don't even mark it that way. And in fact, when I teach people, I go, right, at school, you were never allowed to cheat. You weren't allowed to look at anyone else's paper. But if I'm teaching you something and you're not quite sure about it, ask the person beside you. And then there is one stipulation if you do that, you then have to ask them why they got that answer. Because then they'll be able to qualify why they got it. They'll be able to confirm with you. You'll have a discussion. You'll both come out with greater knowledge. And my job's easier. And, you know, for you to get a, you know, a scorecard and you're 100% or something like that as we're striving for in class with these kids, where none of the kids are happy because of it, we're teaching them how to get re you know, good results in a subject. We're not teaching them how to think. We teach them how to think, they're going to be able to do anything and everything in their life. Whereas if you teach them a subject, well, it's like being a specialist. That's all you can do. You, know, you might be a brain surgeon, but you've got to get the pool man in to clean your pool because you can't do it. You're hopeless at it. So you know, learning in that way, learning how to think and how to uh, get answers and who to ask and how to actually check then whether that person was right in what they told you, this is what it's all about. You do that, it's always going to be a, um, uh, an easier and happier life for you. Right. And I, I really love your twist on, on, on cheating, that no, you're, you're, you're learning. <laughs> it's just a different way of learning. It's not, if you, if you don't treat it like a cheat, it's not. That's it. Well, what we do is we, we you know, penalise kids for cheating at school. Then they go out to work and you're told, go and ask somebody. If you don't get the answer, go and find out. Go and look here. Go and look there. Oh, that's an open book exam. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just go and find the information. So we are taught to cheat to what we call cheating at school. We're now taught to do that in real life. Right. Yeah. Su success in life is not regurgitate back what someone just told you. You've yeah. got to think way beyond that and, and yeah. be resilient and be investigatory. And yeah, that, that, that's, well, that's um, Robert Kiyosaki said when he wrote his first book, you know, for Rich Dad Poured Out and all that was, if you want to be rich and happy, don't go to school. He wasn't saying don't go to school. What he was saying was look about it differently. Get an education. Don't just learn subjects, but get an education on life and how to think and how to create. Now, one of the things I realised when I was at school, I was pretty much had your A's, your B's and your C's. And I was pretty much a C level in a lot of my areas. I was more in the advanced when it came to woodwork and tech drawing and things like that. But maths and all the rest of it, English, oh my God, you know, terrible, hated it. Um, I was down at a C level. And one of my, a couple of my teachers decided they were going to keep me after school in a couple of subjects and get me up from the C level up to the B level. Well, they did on those subjects. And then uh, when I left school, something dawned on me. The C's dropped out of school because they didn't have the brains to go on to university or anything else. And they, they weren't going to get employed by anybody. So they had to start their own business. So they were the business owners. And then the A's would go off to university to get a degree so they could go back and work for the C's. 
And the bees, they just went off and worked with the government. That's virtually what I did as a bee. <laughs> and that's a generalisation, but it sort of it puts it in its right context. It's still, all we're doing, really doing is teaching kids how to socialise, but we're doing it in a way now that they don't socialise. We've got kids there in America pulling guns out. We've got kids over here pulling knives out. We've got kids committing suicide left, right and centre. Here in Australia, we've got less than a tenth of your population. In 2012, we had 100 kids a year actually taking their own lives. We had 10 to 20 times that attempting it. 7,000 kids a year going to hospital from self-harming. Now we've got seven-year-olds self-harming. We had 450 kids take their lives successfully in 2016. And people go, oh, are they getting better at taking their lives? No, there's just that many more of them. We've got more than 5% of every girl between the age of 11 and 15 will attempt suicide. So it's five, you know, more than five out of 100 uh, girls will attempt suicide. And this is what we go with the education system, pushing the, you've got to get a good mark. You know, and we, what we say to our, boy, our kids now, learn to be entrepreneurial, learn to think for yourself, learn how to create. None of that's taught at school. It's all subjects, rote learning, no experiential learning and no, um, uh, what do you call it, problem-based learning. You only get that when you go to university, say in the medical field, and you become a doctor. Right. Yeah. It should when, be at the very early stages. So when, yeah, when being right is the only thing and the only thing that matters and the way that you're marked, then it, at a younger and younger age, you can decide that I'm not right. I'm, mm. I'm wrong and there's no fixing yeah. me. And mm. when... The problem solving is seeing yourself as a problem and you have no way to solve it. But yeah, it's horrible. So you're looking at it there and you can say, well, you know, it's a nasty thing to say. It's, probably, you know, it's a generalization, but it's, you know, schools teach kids to be unhappy because they're teaching them they have to be right. While they're striving to be right, as you said before, you're either going to be right or you're going to be happy. Which one do you want? So my boys, when they grew up, they all said to me and that, you know, like, cause I had three boys and my sister had three boys. So, and the oldest one's about well, 15 days different to my, or five days difference in age to my oldest boy. And he's running his own business as many years ago now. He's running his own business and doing extremely well. And my oldest boy came up to me and uh, he said, you know, he was a bit glum. And I said, well, what's going on? He said, oh, you must be disappointed in us. I said, what are you talking about? And I said, he said, well, you know, here I am. Yeah, I'm in the, out of jobs all the time. Each company I go into, they seem to be winding up and closing down. And uh, I'm not liking the, the work I'm doing. It. Then Matthew over here, he's got this great job and great income. He owns his own home and everything goes. And I went, yeah, but I look at who he is as a man. And I look at who you are as a man. You're somebody who cares about other people. You look after people and everything goes. I said, I couldn't be more proud of you if you were, if you were like your, your cousin. I wouldn't be as proud as you, as you, of you as I am of you as you are. Because you're always striving to do the right thing. All I ever expect of you, you can sweep streets for all I care. I just want to know that your, street, your streets are the cleanest swept streets around. That you're doing the work, you're loving it, and you're helping people around you while you're doing it. Cool. And he went, is that all you want? <laughs> That's all I want, mate. Yeah. I don't expect you to be a doctor. I don't expect you to have all these levels and different things. I expect you to be... Uh, happy in your life and do the right thing by other people while you're doing it. Mm. As they say, and that what you do for yourself dies with you, but what you do for others and for the world isn't always will be eternal. Mm. That's I said, you follow that approach and it doesn't matter how much you make or anything goes. I can be as, you know, just as proud as you for, if you're absolutely broke, this is somebody who's you know, making a million dollars a year. It's who you become in the process. Beautiful. So you talked about some of the goals for the campfire project immediately in, in the panels, but it, it, it's still a virtual experience. So I wonder with, with your recognizing of how physical experience and the rite of passage matters so much, do you, is there a grand vision of, you know, truly, you know, global gatherings of men in person for campfire projects or what, what's that? Yeah, well, one of the things I did first of all is I don't believe in competition. I see everybody as a collaborator. Even if there was, you know, there are other profilers, for instance, around the world who are doing different stuff. So the first thing I did, I went looking for them. I said, hey, you want to have a chat? Let's see how we can collaborate. And with that, a couple of it, it was, we're actually taught, teaching each other their different styles. And we're adding to what we've already got. So I did the same thing with the Campfire Project. And I thought, right, who are the best people to get in it? Why not go after people who run other men's groups? Because if you're running a men's group, you've obviously been through something in your life that gave you that passion to actually create the group and help other men. Mm. 
So I want to hear that story. And by bringing you into the campfire project, I'm not taking men away from other groups. What I'm trying to do then is bring these men in from who are running those, get them talking to the people. The uh, videos are only shown in my you know, campfire project, but we advertise them outside. So other men can come in and join as well. Ultimately is I'm not trying to grow this massive one group. What I'm doing is building a strong bond between every other men's group around the world. So it's like a matrix of all these connected, like a web. And those men talking to each other and sharing. Some people are doing uh, interviews in, the, in their own uh, sites. Well, come along, put them into my site as well. Share them there. This is about men helping men. This is not about ego or anything else. Ego's out of the door. It doesn't survive. Ego will eat you alive. So you get rid of that. Bring these men together. Talk about real issues. The next thing with, as I said, first of all, it's going to be the pre-recorded uh, sessions and that on uh, Zoom, one-on-one, -on -one, then in groups. Then I want to bring the women into it and interview a few of those and then bring those women into the group. So now it becomes a family gathering. It becomes not just a, a global campfire of men, but now a global uh, connection of families where women are coming in and sharing. And now we've got women and men talking to each other in the way they should be talking to each other with total respect and everything else. Because that many women who say, I can't find a decent man, they're looking at the wrong men. Mm. They change the lenses in your glasses because they're there. And the trouble is because you're focusing on this. Like I said, we're taking 2 million bits of information every second and we only process 134 bits. That 134 bits you're focusing on is the wrong 134 bits. Yeah. Shift that focus, you'll start to see the better men. And you then do that, that empowers those men even further. This is not about men... You know, it's about men coming into their own. It's about them becoming leaders, but leaders not out in front of their families, shoulder to shoulder with their partners. So they carry each other when they need to. And the woman can still, when the you know, guy's going through some stuff, the woman can still you know, be there and support her husband or a partner and feel that um, full respect for him while he's going through tough times. Now, you know, we've got men who go through tough times and their partners straight away look down their nose at them. Mm. which makes them worse. Chance of recovering from that, pretty slim. So it's how do we work it out? How do we create something better? You know, look for the uh, upside, because every trait's got an upside, every trait's got a downside. But aesthetic appreciation, as I said, where you keep it in, it means you're laid back and everything else. It's, you know, there's no volatile outbursts or anything else. You know, it's only that when they come out, it's when it's really high. But the downside of it is if we don't express ourselves, that can turn into depression. And so the downside then is suicide. Mm. Whereas somebody who's more dramatic appreciation, great presenters and everything goes, but they also express their stress, but they don't get depression because it's like a pressure cooker, little spurts, they let it out. Just to us who are all normally laid back, oh my God, drama queens, you know? <laughs> but as soon as you understand that that's the difference in the personalities, when the, the person who's got the dramatic appreciation looks at their partner who's gone really quiet because they've got the aesthetic appreciation and goes, what's going on? Now, instead of nagging them to try and find out what's going on because they need to know, two questions. Is it anything to do with me? I can see that something's on your mind. Is it anything to do with me? No, it's not. Is there anything I can help you with? No, it's not. Then I understand that that's your personality. You need to sort this out. But just remember, I'm here when you're ready to talk to me. Mm. And the other one, the other way around, when it's going up and down, instead of jumping in and going, oh, I've just got to fix this, then it's a case of, uh, well, I understand that you just need to vent. So vent, because it's not about me, is it? Same question. No, it's not about you. Right out. Talk as much as you want. You just want me to listen. What do you, what does you want me to do? And then just follow that through. Because half the time, those people are letting off all the time. Don't want anybody to come along and fix it. They just want to let it out. They just want to know that somebody's recognizing and appreciating, yes, they're going through something. Right. Yeah, to, to, to share something and not have someone turn their back on them is, is often, that's, that, that, that's all they need. That's the, yeah. we, you don't need to do anything. You just need to stay there. That's it. And it's not necessarily that the woman is that way and the men's one who really keeps it inside because it used to be because there was a whole set of traits that were more male and a whole set of traits that were more female. Mm. But with the change in societies and everything else, we've got a lot of men who have got that dramatic appreciation as well. We've got a lot of women. You've got, you've got a partner and she goes really quiet. And they go, oh, that's not like a woman. No, it's like the trait. Yeah. It's the ascetic trait. And so we've got to get away from this, oh, you know, oh, that's a female thing or that's a man thing, et cetera, and just go, no, take the gender out on that point and just go, no, this is the personality trait that that person has. 
Right. And if you recognize it as a personality trait, you're, you're actually connecting with that person as opposed to just discarding one gender or the other. Right. Recognizing these are all human traits. That's it. And, and it seems to be an important thing as, as someone learns about themselves and your own traits and what you're good at and how to, how to present the best and deal with the worst aspects of it all is recognizing that there are different types and that everyone's not going to be like you. So That's it. the more you learn about yourself can help you realize that, oh, everyone I talk to isn't going to be the same way or have the same trait or the same initial reaction to anything. And this is where the craziness comes in because so many people, you know, we want people to be like us, not just like us, but to be like us. And so we attract those people around us. That's why we have friends that like doing the same stuff that we do and everything else. But uh, think about the teamwork that goes on when there are jobs that you don't like doing. You can't find any of your mates because they don't like doing that either. They're gone. <laughs> Whereas the people who are completely different to you, the stuff that you don't like, there's a good chance that they do like doing it. This is why at work, teams are made up not of people like you, but of people who are completely different to you. And that's when you have a really strong, cohesive workforce. But because we've got this ego stuff going on and feeling insecure and everything else, this is why there's so much bullying going on at work. And, you know, 87% of people, as I said, disengaged in their workplace. And so if we realise that, well, as I say, viva la difference. Now, the difference in the other people is the gifts that they bring to the table that make your life better once you understand and appreciate what they've got, what they bring to the table. Young group of boys, I gave a workshop one day. They came up to me and uh, all from school, and I went, Okay, well, who are your mates? Oh, all these guys around me. I said, Well, just a question for you where are the, the kids you don't like? Oh, they're the kids over there. I said, Why don't you like them? Oh, they don't like doing the stuff we do, and you know, don't like this, and they don't like that, and this is the stuff that we, we like, and all the rest. And I said, Okay, tell me, you guys are getting ready to leave school. Have you picked your final uh, subjects and everything, or the final subjects and the careers you want to go into? And, you know, a couple of boys were all giving the same profession. And I went, okay, so one job up for grabs, and there's five of you, four are you going to miss out? I said, you reckon those kids over there would go for that job? Oh, no, they don't like that stuff. So they're not your competition. By the way, you know, you've been looking at some of the girls in the group and everything, because I've noticed a few of you doing that. Uh, so there are some girls here that you like. Those boys like the same girls that you like. No, they don't like the same girls that we like. I went, so they're not your competition anyway. So they're the ones you should be embracing as friends because they're not going to go after the job you want to do and they're not going to be chasing the girls you want to chase. So, but your mates are. Think about that one. <laughs> so so, so why, why do you think, why, why do we want people like us? Why, why do we naturally associate that way? Well, we feel better about ourselves because if we've got people, well, first of all, if we like sports, for instance, you know, it's difficult having a partner or friends around you who don't like sport. There's nothing to talk about on that level. You know, when it comes to uh, activities like or playing sport ourselves or going fishing and things like that or uh, rowing and stuff, we have a bond with other people who do things that we do. And the people who do the things that we do are people who have got similar uh, personalities. Not the same personalities, but similar ones. You know, you'll have your mates, there'll be a lot of things you'll love doing with them and a couple of things that they do that you don't do or vice versa. And that's the difference in the personalities. But you think about it for that moment when they've got that one situation where they're doing something that you're not really interested in and just ask yourself if everything they did was along those lines, would they still be your friends? And I guarantee the answer would be no, because we'd have nothing in common. We're tribal creatures. We feel comfortable when we've got people around us who enjoy the things that we enjoy doing. You know, when you've got people who are completely different, well, we call those work colleagues. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And the, you know, the thing is that we miss the real gift of having those people who are completely different to us. Right. You know, yeah. There's one girl there and uh, there's a dozen guys and they're all uh, after that one girl. It's, hard competition it doesn't take long before your mates are no longer your mates unless you're trying to uh, claw each other to death or climb over each other and have to get to her um it's easy just walking around men who just take no notice of the woman it's smooth sailing so to speak as long as she likes you <laughs> yeah right that's, that's the big key yeah <laughs> yeah of course she does have a word a, a um a say in it and a very big say in it too right. those men out there who may think that's not the case get over it 
Cool. So I, I, I really find this, this entire conversation, everything you're doing to be really fascinating. So what, what's the best way? What's the easiest way for people to, to connect with you to, to learn more about what you're up to? Well, best way is actually I always say to people that the more you can see what other people have found with this is the best. So I'd say go to my website, which is uh, alanstevens.com.au, and it's alan, A-L-A-N, and stevens, S-T-E-V-E-N-S.com.au for Australia. And go to the success story page. You'll find different categories in there, business, raising children, teaching, coaching, etc., mental health. And go in and have a look at what other people have actually achieved from it. They want to uh, book a call or they uh, want to send me a message. They can do that through the website. The other thing is my Facebook pages. Um, you just do a search on, well, the, the media called me the celebrity profiler for a long time, uh, mainly because of the work I was doing in the media. Uh, so just look up celebrity profiler, one word, or face profiler is another word. And one will take you to my personal page and one will take you to my uh, business page. And then look up the campfire project. And uh, you'll find uh, the uh, website, the uh, Facebook uh, website for the uh, uh, talks that we're doing around the campfire with all the, all the men. Beautiful. So I'll, wherever you're uh, listening to this, if you get to the blog post <clears throat> on thegoodmenproject.com or realmenfeel.org, we'll have all the links to, to Alan's website and all the different Facebook groups. And I just want to clarify once more about the campfire project group because um, it, it's closed just to keep it a safe space, but anyone yep. is welcome to join. That That's correct? it, men and women. We encourage women to come in because those women can then come in and hear these men telling their stories and get past some of the you know, generalizations that have been forced down their throats through a lot of the feminist groups at the moment, of what are, you know, that there are no good men and all the rest of it. Right. They can come in there and they can actually start to hear these great men. Anybody who comes in as well, if you actually connect with one of those speakers, you don't have to just keep it in the uh, that Facebook page. Send personal messages. Take it offline. You know, if that if there's somebody in there who's been through a, 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 a you know a similar past to you, or is, you connect with, and they're now helping people, go and do business with them. Go and get them to help you. You know, this is what it's about. As I said, I didn't create this for create my business. I created this to bring men together so we could make this a better world. And in that, that flows back to my business anyway. So, as I say, when you, you know, help other people, you can't light someone else's path without lighting your own. And that's what it's always been. How can I help other people to help other people? And in that process, you know, it all comes back. Yeah. Yeah. And the first couple of interviews I did, as soon as I um, interviewed a couple of men, I actually asked two of them, one in England, one in America, if uh, they could recommend some good men to talk to. Next thing you know, my messenger on Facebook's going berserk. And for the next six hours, I'm talking to men from around the world who all want to come onto the campfire. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And that's what it's all about, getting these men together and them sharing their stories and everybody growing from that. Yeah. Uh, men stepping up, willing to be of service to, to other men, to, mm. to the world is, is incredibly powerful and mm. infectious. And I'm so, well, for, um, I was honored to, to be a guest in the mm. campfire and to talk to you and yeah, the, the, the caliber of guys you're talking to and bringing together um, is, is very impressive. Mm. I've, I've loved mm. every guy that I've met through, through that, through that group so far. That's it. And it's, it's not separating men from women it's bringing men and women together and it's not putting women behind men either. It's like in business, they say, well, take care of your employees and they'll take care of your uh, customers, your clients. And a lot of business people don't understand that. A lot of Facebook um, or LinkedIn posts I've put up, 97,000 likes, comments and shares and, uh, and views from the video I put up, pointing out to me that people don't understand that they are one in the same. Mm. If you, help your, you look after your customers, they look after your, sorry, look after your employees, they look after your customers. If we look after the men, who are the greatest recipients of this? They're going to be the children of the women. So everybody's a winner when we can do it this way. Right. And the women coming in, supporting their men, that takes courage as well. And that helps develop the women as well. And now we've got families really coming together and kids growing up happier. Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the only way we can do it is by taking action on it. Right. There's been plenty of talk in the past, but hopefully this is a way of doing it. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, so, uh, Alan, thanks again for, for everything you're doing and for sharing with us today. 
And uh, yeah, can't recommend enough. Check out the Campfire Group. Check out Alan's site. Uh, if this profiling is calling to you at all, if it sounds as, as intriguing to you as it does to me, uh, check out some online classes or working with Alan Live somewhere. Um, so yeah, once again, thanks for making time for our For Real Men Feel today. And oh, you're welcome. Everybody. Thank you very much for the uh, invitation. Look, I've spoken to you before. We had a ball and I was looking forward to it again today. Yeah, yep, yep. It's, all, it's, it's, it's always fun to... to just have no agenda and just to get together and, and talk and, and share what's going on and as a way to motivate, to inspire, to, you know, just to bring a smile, to remind someone that they don't have to be right. Just whatever it is that, that comes out of a conversation that, that connects with someone else. That, that's really what, it, what it's all about. Imagine having those discussions around the dinner table mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be great for these not to be as rare as they are. Right. If, if every day a guy can just have this level of conversation with with multiple people every day, that that's fantastic. That's it. So so thanks everyone for listening to us. Um, wherever you're listening to the show, please give a rating, a review, a comment, to share. We'd love to hear from you. Visit realmenfield.org. Check us out on Facebook. Send us feedback, and we'll talk to you soon. Be good to yourselves. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Until next time, visit realmenfeel.org or the Real Men Feel Facebook group and share what you thought of this episode. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel. Visit goodmenproject.com for more of the conversations no one else is having.